welcome to our mini-sode. Hello there. So this is the best of cold mini-sode where we discuss crimes committed against BIPOC people by those who are supposed to protect the police. We encourage you to do further research into these stories and educate yourself on these topics. So this week I am discussing the case of Elijah McLean and Tama. I'm talking about uh, Rebecca Meyer, an Aboriginal woman who died in custody in 2016. If you haven't heard our minisodes before, essentially they're a lot less chatty than our normal episodes. We basically read the information surrounding the case just verbatim. We try not to really put our personal spin on it and we encourage you to do your own research into what happened and the events that followed. So I'll start first. So as I said, I'm doing Elijah McLean. So Elijah McLean was a 23-year-old African-American man who died after police restrained him in a chokehold. Elijah was a massage therapist who loved animals and played the guitar and violin, also playing violin to stray cats in shelters, believing it soothed them. He was walking home from a store on August 24th, 2019, when someone calls 911 saying, quote, Elijah looks sketchy, he's wearing a ski mask and waving his arms around, end quote. Police arrive and try to handcuff Elijah. After a struggle ensues, they use a cartoid hold and render him unconscious. Paramedics are called and arrive after 15 minutes, where Elijah is injected with ketamine. On his way to the hospital, Elijah goes into cardiac arrest and tragically dies a few days later. The official autopsy report reveals the cause of death as undetermined, that it could have been from natural causes from the cartoid hold or an accidental death. From the body cam footage, which was released three months after his death, you can see while being detained, Elijah is incredibly distressed, vomited and crying out, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to do that. I can't breathe properly. In the same footage, one of the officers can be heard saying that he had, quote, put him out at least once successfully, end quote, referring to the cartoid holds. The footage shows three officers, Nathan Woodyard, Jason Rosenblatt and Randy Redeemer, arriving at the scene at around 10.30pm. At one point, the body cams of all police officers involved, quote, fall off. (laughs) One officer approached Mr. McLean, who was listening to music, and told him to stop walking. Elijah stops after several commands, but said he has a right to continue towards home. According to the camera footage, the officer responds, saying that he has a right to stop Elijah for looking suspicious and grabbed him by the arms. As another officer approaches Elijah, he can be heard saying, I am an introvert. Please respect the boundaries that I am speaking. Leave me alone. Though Elijah has committed, a, has not committed a crime, officers immediately restrain him, telling him to stop a re- resisting when he puts his arms up to his chest and to, quote, stop tensing up, end quote. The footage shows Elijah pleading with the officers to let go of him and trying to get out of their grip. The officers eventually bring him to the ground, claiming that he'd reached for one of their guns while they were pinning him against a wall to handcuff him. The body cam footage does not show this, officers said, because, as I said previously, their cameras had fallen off into the grass. At one point, an officer tells Elijah that he would use his dog on him if he would not, quote, stop messing around, end quote. More officers arrive after Elijah is restrained. While talking with one another... Officers said that Elijah was acting crazy and that he was definitely on something and that he had attacked officers when they tried to restrain him. They also said he had incredible crazy strength and that at one point three officers were on top of him. 
The autopsy reports that Elijah was 5 feet 6 and weighed 140 pounds. Since his death, the three officers involved in his death were placed on administrative leave but have all since been reinstated. On August 11th, 2020, Elijah's family filed a lawsuit against the city of Aurora. The civil complaint filed in the U.S. District Court by Elijah's parents, Shanine McLean and Lewayne Mosley, seeks damages for the family and names the city, 12 police officers, two fire department paramedics and the department's medical director as defendants. Quote, in a span of 18 minutes, defendants subjected Elijah to a procession of needless and brutal force techniques and unnecessarily, unnecessary, recklessly administered medication, the combined effects of which he could not survive. That same day, Mr. Weiser announced an investigation into whether the Aurora Police Department has employed, quote, patterns and practices, end quote, that may deprive people of their constitutional rights. The investigation will be a broad look at the police department's record of arrests, stops, searches, and use of force. And this information was taken from an article in the New York Times. So as I said, I will be talking about Rebecca Meyer, who is a 36-year-old Aboriginal woman who died in custody in the year of 2016. This information comes from a Guardian article, so if you would like to research more of that, look that up. Rebecca Meyer was a 36-year-old Aboriginal woman who was found dead inside a police cell at Maitland Police Station in New South Wales Hunter region just before 6am on the 19th of July 2016, about five hours after being taken into protective custody because she appeared intoxicated and had wandered on into oncoming traffic. The inquest had previously heard that when Maya was taken into custody, she was stumbling, had slurred speech, and could not sit upright on the bench in the observation cell. It's also heard that the police initially had concerns about her health, specifically her breathing. On Friday, <clears throat> the acting state coroner, Therese O'Sullivan, handed down her findings into the death, saying... Given the level of Myers' intoxication, the police's failure to call an ambulance was, an, was a breach of policy and that she, quote, would have survived if they had. She was also quoted as saying, Police should have concluded that at that early stage, Rebecca was severely intoxicated. If an ambulance had been called, expert evidence suggests that Rebecca would have survived. She said the level of her intoxication meant Maya should not have been kept in police attention and should instead have been taken immediately to a hospital. There seemed to be a consensus amongst various officers that the power to detain an intoxicated person was to be exercised to allow that person to sleep off. She was ends the quote by saying, I am troubled by this attitude. After Maya was detained in uh, Kesnock, she was... Placed into the cell around 1.24am and ordered 10 minutes later to lie down because she was sitting slumped on the mattress and looked likely to fall over. A custody officer walked to the door of the cell seven times between then and discovering her death and looked at her through the perspex wall but did not enter the cell or try to shake her awake, despite earlier noting problems with her breathing. When the officer did not enter her cell at 5.54 a.m., Maya was unresponsive... Sorry, when the officer did enter the cell at 5.54 a.m., Maya was unresponsive and surrounded by vomit. She was declared dead just over 10 minutes later after the police and paramedics were unable to revive her. 
Maya, who had a long history of drug addiction and was found to have died from a mix of fatal levels of prescription drug drugs in her system, as well as methadone, which she had been using to deal with heroin addiction. She had, after her death, the two pill bottles containing 29 tablets of alprazolam or Xanax tablets were found in the left leg of her pants. Sullivan found police had failed to conduct adequate searches of Maya because of misguided fear of contracting an infectious disease and had not conducted adequate checks on her while she was in a prison cell. She said it was likely that at least one of the pill bottles were inside Maya's pant leg at the time she entered the police cell and that had a pat-down search been conducted, the bottle may have been located and alerted the officers of the nation of her intoxication. She found the search was not conducted because of a misguided fear of contracting an infectious disease after a dispatcher had incorrectly told Maya, told officers that Maya was HIV positive. O'Sullivan said the checks conducted on Maya's welfare during the night were not consistent with police requirements, and that if the officer on duty had performed a, his duty adequately, it's very likely he would have found Maya unconscious earlier and called an ambulance. The 36-year-old Wira Jewi woman is the only Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person to die in a New South Wales police cell since the state introduced a mandatory custody notification service, CNS, in 2000. Under the terms of the CNS, police must notify the Aboriginal legal services when a Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person is in custody for an offence, but not for a person detained for intoxication. On Friday, O'Sullivan recommended the New South Wales Attorney General consider amending the law to extend the CNS to intoxicated persons and that the Commonwealth Minister consider expanding the funding of the program. She also recommended further training for police officers about infectious disease, improved reporting for custody managers checking on people detained for intoxication, and to be required to record effects to identify and locate a responsible person. So what year did this occur in, sorry? 2016. So this was a recent one? Yeah, four years ago. It was very similar to the story I did in our first minisode, which was Tanya Day. Yeah, ex- pretty, pretty much, very much exactly the same. Similar. Yeah. It's uh, just in- a complete lack of care on yeah. the part of the officers. And, and you know, the guard quoted as saying was going back and forth between the cells seven times. I call bullshit because it's quite visible to see someone drunk slouch on a mattress and then very different to someone passed out dead vomit all around them yeah surrounded by their own vomit they, they should have checked up on her either it's, it's as simple as that it's a very simple procedure and the fact that it also goes to show what a stigma there is around hiv that they were so scared and touching to her con- and like being that's not her. how you contract exactly. hiv like and it just shows how uneducated the police Ah. Yeah, the fact that you would think that you can contract HIV by touching someone. Like, that's not how it happens. Exactly, yeah. You might as well be scared of fucking cooties at that stage. Yeah, well, that's basically it. But yeah, it just goes to show, like, just a complete disregard for someone's life when you think about someone being arrested for being drunk. Yeah. Or, you know, appearing inebriated by either drugs or alcohol. But it does definitely go to show the double standards that... We have people we know who have experienced a very different level of care being of drunk in public. Yeah, no, for sure. We, we, you know, there's people we know who've been driven home 
been taken to hospitals almost immediately after like uh, what you can uh, what can only be seen as not a very serious incident. Yeah. Compared to this, where a woman's found with a cocktail of drugs in a system, and she's not immediately taken to the hospital, like it's just insane. Yeah. And her death can be possibly attributed to the fact that no one actually bothered to pat her down and search her. Mm. And the the Elijah McLean story, there's a video of him online playing violin to cats in a shelter. It's just so sad. Yeah. But uh, basically what's messed up is the autopsy report goes into a bit of detail that they believed. They're essentially, the autopsy report is essentially victim blaming by saying that him struggling likely contributed to his death. And I'm like, well, he was struggling because he was terrified and rightly so. He was struggling because he was being choked. You would struggle too. Like you can't, your automatic response when you can't breathe is to try and struggle out of whatever it is. Oh, just um, these stories are particularly sad to do. Really, yeah. Because it's not someone, it's not a serial killer, it's not someone who is evil, it's just... Innocent people. ...systematic racism and the people who are, quote, supposed to protect us, end quote, just not doing their jobs. Yeah. It's time to buckle the fuck up and actually do your fucking jobs. But um, that's basically... The episode. Uh, so, as always, we encourage you, we'll leave the links to where our own information was taken from for these articles. We always encourage you to do your own research, uh, look more into the topics. As always, we will also have links to um, some charities you can donate to. Specifically for us being Australians, we always include charities for Indigenous Australian people. But um, if you are an American listener, I'm sure it would take a quick Google search to find some charities in your local area that you can donate to. And if you have any particular stories that you would like us to talk about, uh, we've got a bit more of a schedule going. So these minisodes will be weekly now moving forward because we we had a few episodes come out um, a few months ago and then our schedules kind of fell off the bandwagon. But we're back onto it and we'll be recording them weekly. So we'll be bringing these stories to you, two stories every week released on Monday mornings, Australian Eastern Standard Time. So thank you for joining and tune in on Wednesday for our uh, main show.